Good morning. Tears in heaven. I, I love that song. Thank you, Dan. Um, any seminary who is willing to play Eric Clapton in chapel is a good seminary. <laughs> Thank you. Now, of course, as a sheer coincidence, I, I want to talk about tears in heaven. Wow. Um, tears, tears are funny things. I, I don't know. I don't really know why we have them. I, I know the biology. Um, but, um, you know, they, they run down your cheek. They're salty. They mess up your face. They stain your clothes. They, uh, they'll, they'll make a mud pack. Uh, out of your mascara should you be wearing some. And uh, I suppose we're all familiar with tears on earth, uh, but the topic I want to wrestle with is tears in heaven. Uh, Do humans cry in heaven? Does God cry in heaven? Uh, And um, you might think that's rather a strange topic, but... Uh, for me, I've pondered this one for quite a while uh, in, in our own home. And here's the backdrop to the story. Uh, this is, uh, in our property, we have a walkout basement. And uh, this is the turnaround ramp uh, on a, uh, a wheelchair ramp that has an in, a decline of uh, 1 in 12. So for every 12 inches, it drops 1 inch and goes around and... Uh, comes to the, just a, the edge of a hill and turns back into the house. Uh, so we're, our family is there on the, uh, the turnaround place in the wheelchair ramp. And that's my daughter in the back and uh, Chrissy and Marilyn. And then along the front row is Joel and John. And then the professor, the crazed professor, holding the dock. For some reason, all our family photos, I'm holding the dock. <laughs> Don't know why, but... Uh, and, and so, um, uh, I remember Marilyn asking me when we, we bought this house for the walkout basement, John was going downhill and she, uh, she said, how long can you, uh, does it take you to build, build a ramp, wheelchair ramp? He was starting at that stage. And, and I said, I think I can do it in a month. I started May 1st. And we had our first uh, maiden wheelchair voyage, October 15th. <laughs> no railings or anything. I, I blew it a wee bit. Building projects can add a lot of stress to your marriage and, and to seminaries. <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, she said, well, how, how much will it cost? I said, I don't know. I'm not a builder. Probably 1500 bucks. $14,400 later, the wheelchair ramp was built. But I'll tell you this, the good news is this, in 50 years when our house blows down, the ramp will be there. <laughs> uh, I really want to show you the picture of John when he was here on earth in, in, our, in our home. For most of my adult life, I've never cried. Marilyn never saw me cry. 
for uh, maybe a decade and a half until something ventured into our home. Something happened to our oldest son. Uh, He was fine up until age 13, about grade 9, then he started dragging a foot, one foot, just a wee bit. And we thought, hmm, this doesn't really follow the normal trajectory of uh, development. So we spent a long time, 10, 12 years in and out of hospitals in Toronto. And that did it for me. Screwed me up big time. I, I can be driving along, minding my own business, and blam, I got pulled over. Can't see the road ahead. Don't plan it. <laughs> when I heard, when I heard the word leukodystrophy the first time, I walked into a colleague's office and I sat down and I tried to talk and I couldn't. I tried to talk, I couldn't. I got up and left. I just cried. He had no idea what I was in there for. On uh, really bad days, I say to God, where are you? Where are you as I watch my child? Go downhill. Uh, from a walker to a wheelchair. From a bright teenager to some scrambled mind. Childlike reasoning. Where are you, God, as you slowly watch my son become uh, a quadriplegic? Do you enjoy this? Do you get some kind of sick and twisted delight out of this? Do you even notice? Do you even care? And I guess, I guess you could say that, yes, I'm a, I'm, I'm a messed up person. Tuition for my courses should be half price. I, I try to broker you a deal. You can come and see me on the side. After the death of his four-year-old son, Eric Clapton put it this way. Time can bring you down. Time can bend your knees. Time can break your heart. Have you begging, please? Beyond heaven's door, there's peace, I'm sure. And I know there'll be no more tears in heaven. Tears in heaven? It's interesting that Eric Clapton shares a popular view of heaven as a place where there are no more tears. And one should not be surprised about that because that is the majority Christian view. It is wrong, however. (laughs) Revelation 7 and Revelation 21 are uh, the citations that are being referred to. And uh, pastors have done a really lousy job here. Okay, professors who teach pastors have done a bad job here. <laughs> because if you, if you look at those two texts that talk about God wiping away all tears in heaven, 
He's not talking about heaven now. He's talking about heaven at the very end of eternity, where, where we have the transition into the new heavens and new earth. At that point, God wipes away tears in heaven. But right now, there's an entirely different story. People cry in heaven. God cries in heaven. I want to take you to four portraits of God who, who cries in heaven, who suffers because of the suffering impact of our world. And I'm going to take you to four portraits, but we're going to just breeze through the first two. And they go like this. Sometimes, sometimes when God suffers, he suffers like, and, and the portrait in scripture is that he suffers like a parent in pain who has prodigal sons and daughters who have left him and his heart is broken. And I know some parents who struggle with that pain. It's not good. And, and sometimes when he suffers, he suffers like a BMW. Well, well, it's not the BMW, it's the writing on the side. He suffers like Hope she was worth it, like a spouse in pain. Hell hath no fury and no depth of pain than a spouse living as a jaded lover. Sometimes God presents himself as that in relating to our broken world. But the two I want to explore more fully are these, that God, when God suffers, he suffers like this. Ah, New Orleans. Then there are a half dozen times and three of those occasions with Maryland. And every time we go, we go to that little, little hole-in-the-wall place. It's getting bigger, but the little hole-in-the-wall place called Preservation Jazz Hall. And I remember, I remember the time when they wheeled in Emma Barrett in her, in her 80s. And she melted the keyboard with this beautiful blueses playing. Ah, so good. And, and when God, when, when God feels the pain of our world, sometimes he is torn apart. He says through the prophet, God speaks through the prophet this way. He speaks like a blues musician. Uh, and he says, I, God, weep. Tears in heaven? I, I God, weep as Jazer weeps. Now, just on a technical note, there is some speculation that the proper spelling should be an extra Z in there. Uh, I, I, God, weep as Jazer weeps. Mind you, it's speculative, but it might be true. I, God, weep as Jazer weeps. I drench you with tears. I drench you with tears, an ocean of tears. My heart throbs for Moab like a heart. My very soul laments for them. I will wail for Moab. I will cry out for all Moab. For the people of Kirharaseth, I mourn more than for Jazer. I weep for you. My heart moans for Moab like a flute. And my heart moans like a flute for the people of Kirharaseth. 
we could, I suppose, update those in our context to talk today about the tears of a violin or a saxophone. Sometimes God is broken over the brokenness of our world. The last metaphor, the fourth one I take you to, I warn you about, it is not pleasant to look at. Sometimes when God suffers, he suffers like this. It doesn't look good. He suffers like a woman in labor. Now, I must admit that I have never felt this pain. I speak the truth. But uh, we have had three children, and uh, you know how it goes today. Um, you have to be in the, in the, the labor room, right? You, you don't have an option anymore. You can't be out in the lounge smoking a cigar. You have to be in. It's written into the marriage vows to love and honor and be there holding the hand and breathing coach thing. And I did it three occasions. And, well, Marilyn's hand is a little smaller, so she can't grab my whole hand. So what she does is grab three fingers. Okay, you know what happens when you start getting into the, the throes of labor and she's got my three fingers tightly bound together, squishing them? It's almost like I have to go to another part of the hospital afterwards to get them surgically separated. I have felt some pain. <laughs> Okay, I better not wander down that street too far. When God feels pain, he does not feel it like the spouse at the side of the bed. He describes his pain as the pain of one in labor. He says this, My anguish, my anguish, I rise in pain. This labor language. Oh, the walls of my heart. My, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent. For a long time, I have held my peace. I, I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in trial. I will gasp and pant. Tears in heaven? I think so. We're wading into the deep waters of anthropomorphisms or more accurately anthropopathisms in all language about God all the way through scripture is to some degree analogical. And we cannot climb the Wittgenstein ladder and peek into heaven and see what corresponds in the analogy and what does not. But in order for the portraits to have some kind of meaningful heart in communication, they, they must be saying and, and have some degree of correspondence. In the final analysis, we must be contented to say that God in some way suffers like a parent in pain, like a spouse with an unfaithful partner, like a blues musician, like even a woman in labor. The early church uh, and church throughout church history has not always done well in this area of theology. Uh, pretty much from the early church to the 19th century, the church has taught that God cannot suffer. 
The suffering of a, a, a non-touchable, non-suffering God, however, I think is rooted more in Greek philosophy than from Scripture. For to them, to the Greeks, suffering implied deficiency of being, weakness, and subjection. In the last century, however, this perspective has largely been abandoned, and for good reason. In his book, uh, The Crucified God, Jürgen Moltmann points out that the fathers made the mistake of recognizing only two alternatives. Only the alternative number one, uh, the essential incapacity for suffering, or number two, a faithful subjection to suffering. Either God can't suffer, or if he can, he must be subject to it. But there, there is a third form of suffering that Moltmann proposes. A voluntary laying oneself open to another and allowing oneself to be intimately affected by that person, that it is to say, the suffering of passionate love. There is a third form of suffering. He proposes a voluntary laying oneself open to another and allowing oneself to be intimately affected by that person. That is to say, the suffering of passionate love. For if one dares to love, then, then one necessarily becomes vulnerable to suffering. There is a movie that's been out for a while, not exactly a summer blockbuster, uh, Shadowlands. <laughs> And uh, based on C.S. Lewis's work, A Grief Observed, it's account of the death of his wife. And in the movie, he's presented as a stuffy old professor. I don't like the way he, they depict professors in, in the movie. Okay, that's my business. But he falls in love and, and with this young lady. And uh, just a uh, short time after they're married... She finds out she has cancer. They find out. She doesn't live long. And the story is a story about death and grief, but more importantly, it's a story about love. For it is love that makes us vulnerable to grief. If you think about it, you could read the obituaries of the newspaper every day and not shed a tear. But if you have ever loved someone who is dying, there is, there is potential for untold pain. Uh, if there ever was an answer to suffering, it lies in the suffering God. For if the divine one himself suffers, we must ask the most enigmatic of all questions, why do bad things happen to a good God? Good God, why do bad things happen to a good God? Why does he feel pain? In the quietness of my mind comes only one answer. Because he loves. One could speculate that because God loves infinitely he God suffers infinitely 
The depth of God's pain, while analogical to human pain, may in fact be far deeper than ours. And it is that realization that begins to melt my bitterness, begins to free me from the grievances that clench and destroy my soul. I can once again embrace the God with whom I was angry, for I cannot... Try as I may, I cannot stay angry at someone who suffers with me in my suffering. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Germany, after having spoken out against Hitler uh, while he was in the solitude of his prison, Nazi prison cell, during the months that led up to his execution, he wrote a series of letters and sketched the thoughts of those days. And as he wrestled with his own suffering and pain, he came to this conclusion, that only the suffering God can help my suffering. Tears in heaven? I think so. Let's stand for a benediction and then you're dismissed. Only ten Evan's tears can help heal my broken heart. Go in peace. And may the Raptors win on Thursday.